We now come to our sermon passage this morning, and we'll be looking at one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. So go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app. If you don't, it's printed for you in your bulletin as you can see. 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter. This is God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. I speak in the languages of men or of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body the hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues and languages, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, when we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray as we look into its wisdom, that we look into your word pronounced to us, that we would see the glory of you, that we would see your grace as we look at this today, that we would see a way of life that wins our hearts. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The last few years have been a doozy. I don't think I need to tell you, but I've been through what? A global pandemic, political chaos, conspiracy theories, inflation, economic instability. I mean, I could keep going. I'll stop. But here we are, January 1st, 2023, and we're on the doorstep of the new year, and I'm wondering how can I, how can we together chart a different way into the next 12 months? I mean, we could do what we normally do on January 1st, and we could come up with a list of resolutions. We can look through our life like I talked about earlier, and we can find the ways we're kind of disappointed in ourselves, and we can say, okay. I'm going to draw up the motivation from within myself. And I'm going to change this. We can do that, yes. But I don't think that that is going to bear much good fruit. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and it's one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. You've heard it before. It's quoted at weddings. It's referenced in country songs. It's stitched on pillows and etched on picture frames, but it wasn't originally any of these things. It wasn't written into one of these joyous occasions. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 was written by the Apostle Paul, who did not sit down and compose a love poem. He wrote it into a desperate time, into a situation of chaos and division. And that's why I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13 today on January 1st, 
not just to find some inspiration in our hearts, some uh, you know a deep feeling about the concept of love, but because I think that this passage can speak to things in our unique moment in history. It can help us get our bearings about where we are and how we can walk forward into the life that is before us, into the next so we're going to break the, the passage up into a couple of different points to get our minds around it. The first one's this, missing the point. Missing the point. In Corinth, which is the city to which the, this letter was written, the church there had lost the century. They had fallen in love with things that kind of surrounded Jesus, but that they had lost Jesus as the guiding point, as the one who holds everything together. I've talked about this before as Jesus plus. So they would, they would say, yay Jesus, we love Jesus. But when you ask them where they found their confidence, where they found their hope, where they found their sense of identity, they would tell you about Jesus plus other things. They would tell you about these other things about themselves that made them feel validated. They thought that they needed Jesus plus this other thing to make them whole, even if they wouldn't have said that out loud. Now, it took a couple of different forms, but I want to break it down for the church in Corinth into three different ones. First, you had the feel-it-alls. The feel-it-alls. Jesus plus these deep emotional experiences. They took great pride that they had these incredible spiritual experiences. And they thought that these experiences made them better or more mature than other people. They had incredible experiences that uh, Paul talks about in verse 1. He talks about them speaking in tongues or in other languages that they had never learned before, able to speak to people who speak those languages. That's an incredible, I've never, I mean, could you imagine? Just open your mouth and start speaking Chinese to someone or Mandarin, you know what I mean? That's incredible spiritual experience. And that group acted as if the people who had the biggest emotional experiences, the most dramatic and impressive spiritual experiences, like they were varsity in the church. That was the real A-team, you know, first string. They were varsity, everybody else is changing. So those were the feel-it-alls. You also had the know-it-alls. You had the know-it-alls. They took pride in how much they knew. They measured themselves and they measured other people based on their self-professed wisdom. They looked down on other people who didn't seem to know as many facts as they did. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 2. It speaks of people who fathom mysteries and have all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains. This group acted like, in you know, our modern terms, that the people who read the most books are varsity. Everybody else is you had the feel-it-alls, you had the know-it-alls, you had the do-it-alls. The do-it-alls, the people who took so much pride in how much they had done. How many times they had volunteered. Paul talks about this in verse 3. He says, those who had given up their positions to the poor and had experienced physical suffering. This group acted as if they were the varsity because they had given it all. And other people had done much, not compared to them. They were varsity. Everybody else is changing. So you have to feel it all. You have to know it all. You have to do it all. But what's the point of knowledge? What's the point of our emotional experiences? What's the point of sacrifice on behalf of others? It's not that we find a firmer foundation on which to live. It's not that we 
we're seeking out something to find that we can build our identity on. The point is that the love of God will be formed in us. A love that touches every part of who we are. The point of knowledge, the point of experiences, deep emotional, spiritual experiences, the point of serving others and sacrifice in the name of Jesus is not to build a firmer foundation for our confidence. It's not for us to find another way to validate ourselves. That's why the Apostle Paul says that all of these things, even the greatest amount of knowledge, the greatest sacrifices you can can make, the biggest emotional experiences, apart from love, he says they're a clanging gong, a clanging symbol, noise that, that, that you know, drives everything out, noise that distorts. He says it is nothing apart from love. Nothing. The point is love. And that brings me to my next section, finding the symptoms. Love is the point. But what does that mean? What do we mean when we say love? I think we tend to think of love as a feeling. You know, you can read our romance novels or look at rom-coms or different movies. Love's a feeling, right? Or we say maybe love is an action. You've heard this. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Something you do. But before love is a feeling or love is an action, love is a person. It's the center of the Christian faith. It speaks about it in 1 John 4, which we use as part of our call to worship, that God is love. Before love is something we do or something we feel or something that belongs to us, love is who God is. And that means when we come to 1 Corinthians 13, this is not just a list of things we should try to get better This is not the Apostle Paul giving us a New Year's resolution. Like maybe we can motivate ourselves or guilt ourselves in accomplishing the things that are listed here. No, first of all, 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of who God is. The God who is most clearly revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Now our ideas of love are rooted and defined in who He is. Which means that for love to be formed in us, as this passage talks about, that means to focus on Jesus. If we miss this, we'll just read 1 Corinthians 13 as another list of things to do. It'll become a new law that we either justify ourselves with or condemn ourselves with. So we'll hear, love is patient, and we'll think, well, I'm not patient. We'll hear, love is kind, and we'll think, well, that shit is sealed. But the truth is that love will only be formed in us when it springs from a knowledge and an experience of the God who is love, who loves us. The Apostle Paul knows that the chaos that he's writing this chapter into, the chaos that's happening there in the city of Corinth, if there's any hope for lasting and true change, it has to be uh, out of a vision of the love of God in Jesus Christ. It has to be one that springs from knowing we are love, not one where it's Paul just giving a list of things to do to make it created a better church. That's not what 1 Corinthians 15 is. Our hearts cannot form the love talked about here if our hearts are not captured by the depth of God's love for us in Christ. So let's look again at what this passage says about love. I'm going to read it again, knowing that it's not just a list of things to do, but it's a description of Jesus. And it means 
and what it means for His love to capture our hearts. Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is a description of our God. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. My hope for me and our church, my hope for everybody in this room as we're looking at this next year, is that we come to grow in our experience and knowledge the boundless love of God for us. That we become more like Him. And as we behold His love for us, and it becomes more and more the center that holds us together individually and together, that we'll reflect Him more and more. So I'd like to invite you, you know, as we're walking into this new year, to begin praying with me, starting this week, for this specifically. Maybe even memorize this passage. Print it out and put it on your fridge. Put it on your car dash or something. That God would make us people who are patient because we have seen in Him His immense patience for us. As we become people who are kind because He is the God who abounds in kindness. We become people who do not envy and do not boast because our worthiness is founded in the God who means nothing. He's brought us to Himself. That we would be people who keep no record of wrongs. That we would not be the bitterness and this spreadsheet way of thinking in our interactions with other people. That we would be people who protect, who trust, who hope, and who, in all of this, persevere. And that this would happen because the very center of who we are is the incredible love of God for us. And that brings me to my last section. Love never fails. We all want to be part of something that matters. We hate the idea that something we've worked hard on will come to nothing. We all want to be a part of something that lasts. That our efforts will not be wasted. That the projects we work on will not fail. I think it's part of human nature, nature because we're designed to be a part of of doing things that matter in their lives. Paul appeals to this starting in verse 8. He says, love never fails. But all these things that we tend to think are very spiritual and very important, the things that he's already talked about and the things that he lists, they have a shelf life. And he's talking about good things. He's talking about knowledge and prophecy, which in Scripture is a way of describing proclaiming God's truth. He talks about tongues or languages which are ways to communicate. These are all good things. Paul's not saying knowledge is bad or spiritual experiences are bad or serving is bad. But he's saying this, they are not purposes unto themselves. They're not the end. They serve a bigger purpose. To paraphrase uh, the pastor in the 5th century, Augustine, he said all these things, knowledge, Spiritual experiences, service of others, all of these things are like the temporary scaffolding as at a building site. The scaffolding is not part of the finished building. It's there to help the building be built. But when the building, which is the point of the project, is finished, the scaffolding is removed. It's not part of the finished product, right? <laughs> you take the scaffolding down, you have to. Paul is saying in these verses that all these things that we tend to think are super spiritual or super important are really the scaffolding of us discovering the greatness of God's love for us together 
and Him forming that within us. And all of this, the building of that, it involves knowledge, it involves emotions, it involves actions, but those are not the point unto themselves. They're the scaffolding that allows love to be built. Now, to be sure, the full and complete formation of love will only happen when Jesus returns and makes all things new in the new heavens and new earth. Paul talks about that here when he says, then we shall see face to face because we'll uh, know fully as we are fully known. There's an experience of glory and love that we will only know when we see the effects of sin uh, removed entirely. But our calling in the here and now is to be about, first and foremost, that which will last. That which will last. That which will remain. To not read a bunch of books and get a bunch of knowledge so we can treat the Christian life like it's a game of jeopardy. To not do a bunch of things so we can feel good about ourselves at the end of the day. That I did this. I gave this. That's fine. That's good. Learning knowledge is good. Not having deep spiritual experiences at the expense of community. Not chasing after individual spirituality at the expense of other people. That's one of the things that was going on in Corinth. calling in the here and now, in 2023 for us, is to be about that which will last. That's what he says in the final verse. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Even faith and hope, those have a shelf. Faith will one day become sight. In the new heavens and new earth, we won't have faith because the fruition of all God's plans will have happened. And so our faith will become sight. In the new heavens and new earth, when God has completed His redemptive work, we will not hope anymore. Because our hope will become experience. But love, love will remain. Because love is who God is. Love, in a sense, is our destination. It's where we're heading. Love is the best description of what we're created for, what we're redeemed for, and what we'll know in eternity. So with all of this in mind, for 2023, me at least, I'm not making any resolutions. I'm done with resolutions. I'm giving up on them. At least not the kind of ones we usually think of. Because, guys, I might gain 10 pounds. I might lose five. I might read 50 books. I might not. I can almost promise I won't read the whole Bible in a year. It's not in the, with the attention that it truly deserves. So no resolutions. Because I don't know what 2023 will bring. And I'm not going to set a track for myself to feel guilty. I already do that enough anymore. But here's what I do know about 2023. No resolutions. Whatever comes, whatever weight I'll be when it gets here, it's going to be a year for me and for you to walk in the shining light of God's love for us and Jesus. Whatever I feel, whatever I do this year that's worth it, that's good, will be grounded in that whether I'm conscious of it or not. And at the end of this year, that will be enough. Because it's always enough. God's love for us is always enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. And I pray, God, 
as we catch a glimpse of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, His beauty shine forth on us in the gospel, that you would change us to be what, be like what we behold. That as we're turned to Jesus, we would become more like Him. As we are turned to your love and body in Christ, which is patient, which is kind, does not envy, does not boast, boast is not proud, that we will be changed into people who love. And as we love them, we are patient. We are but may we never get the cart before the horse. May we never think that this can happen because we really want it to or we make a list of things to do. Let us always know that it has to spring out. It has to be driven by in every way. Us knowing that we found the love in you that we did not earn in the countenance. Imprint this upon our heart and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.